Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2.5% of the most popular podcasts globally. And honestly, it's all because of my incredible guests. I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game. And they come here on this show perfectly willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. These are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with you the essence of peak performance. And today we are talking about avoiding pitfalls from business transition to transaction with my guest, Lori Barkman. Growing a business requires preparing and planning for the future in order to make it transferable. You can't just kind of go, oh, it's time for me to sell this. Uh, maybe I should have started a long time ago. So Lori is teaching entre- <clears throat> excuse me, entrepreneurs about making their business firm by helping them maximize Enterprise value, creating succession plans, we need to talk about those, and identifying M&A strategies. 80% of business owners want to stop working in their business in the next 5 to 10 years, but as I just noted, most have not planned for that transition. Many need to improve the business first. And Lori terms herself a business transition Sherpa. I love that. With her firm Small Dot Big, she advises owners on having more valuable Available businesses. Lori, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Denise, thanks so much. Glad to be with you. I know we had scheduled you once before, and for some reason we had to reschedule. And anytime that happens, it's rare. I'm always a little panicky, like, we don't have to do this again, do we? We don't have to reschedule. I'm so glad we made it. We both made it. Great to be present, you know, and it's great to be live. It's so exciting. I hope that the audience really enjoys today's show. Oh, they will, because what you have to talk about is, in my opinion, very important. And one of the things, and I don't want to start off with this, but one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about at some point is we're not just talking brick-and-mortar businesses. There's a lot of us who are, I guess, part of the gig economy. You know, we are contractors. We hire contractors. We have teams. In my case, I work from home those businesses are also saleable if we handle them correctly. So I wanted to talk with you about that as well. So anyway, tell us a bit about you before I start peppering you with questions. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you. Just a favorite quote. I love to share quotes. I love to ask people about quotes. And Lily Tomlin, uh, the actress, she says, the road to success is always under construction. And I really believe that that's a good theme for today and a kickoff for what we're going to talk about. And, and thanks for the introduction for me. I do work with business owners to help them achieve their goals. And one of the biggest things that I help them find is that clarity. Sometimes these issues can really be weighing on you in addition to your day-to-day life as an entrepreneur. Now we've got to think about the future. And that's difficult, especially because they've probably never done this before. You know, you need a team to help you build your business. And likewise, you need a team to help you think about business transition and and your future succession or exit. And that's really my purpose. I like to say that I work with business owners to help them find that different perspective. And my firm, you mentioned the name Small.Big, just a little quick backstory, the origin story, as I like to say, on the name. It's a bit of a play on words. I was playing pool billiards with someone from Australia and in the U.S., when you play pool, we say, you know, solids or stripes. But they, they asked me, hey, you know, small dot or big dot. And when I was flash forward years later and I was thinking about the name of the firm and what it meant to me, it was this flash of, wow, I've never seen that before. It was a completely different way to see something, and then you can't unsee it. And that's what I try to bring to them, to, to my clients, these business owners who are founders, maybe they're next generation leaders, maybe they've acquired a business, they're entrepreneurs through acquisition, maybe they're franchise owners, and they're building their business and they're trying to really increase value, but they have a lot of questions about how to do that, ultimately what moves the needle on creating value. 
So the sense of small to big, right? And then also this element of, wow, I, I didn't know that before. I've, I've really helped someone find that different perspective on achieving their goals. And so that's the other, you know, again, play on words with the name. And business transition Sherpa, to me, means I don't have all the answers. I have a process. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you along the way. This is a bit of a journey. Entrepreneurship is a journey. It's difficult to launch a business, start a business, buy a business. And there's challenges that are thrown at you all along the way. And I have a podcast also. It's called Succession Stories. And like you, Denise, I learned so much from my guests. I, I really love having the show. I talk to people from all different aspects of entrepreneurship, including people who support entrepreneurs. I like the acronym that one of my, uh, one of my friends that I've made in the podcast world, he calls it the boat. And it's the, the business owner's advisory team. And I just love that acronym. You know, who's on your boat? Who's going to help you row those oars, get the, get, the, get the clarity you need to achieve your objectives? So guiding entrepreneurs through this complex process of increasing company value and then working with them to let it go you know, when they're ready. I love that boat. I wrote that down. That makes so much sense once you spell it out. I mean, who is on your boat? Who's helping you row the boat? And that's the thing. A lot of us, especially when we start a very small business, maybe it's a cleaning service. Maybe it's like me when I started my original and still business um, as a web developer and now a digital marketing agency. I didn't have a boat. I really didn't. It was 20 years ago. There were, it was a little bit longer. There really wasn't, hang on, I need to call, sorry. We didn't have the internet as we have it now. We didn't have the ability to jump into a forum or ask questions. I mean, we, we just didn't. It didn't exist in the early days. And I had to learn to do pretty much everything myself, and I'm still learning. But along the way, I learned that I didn't have to do it alone which was a big problem for me because, you know, there was nobody to help me, so I just did it on my own. I was exhausted, and I was making mistakes. We do need professional help at pretty much all walks of life. I mean, really. I mean, you were talking earlier about people don't want to think about trying to sell their business. Well, nobody wants to go write a will either, but you've got to do it, and you can't do it on your own. You need an attorney. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I also do is I, I talk to CEO and business owner groups around the country as part of a, a national organization called Vistage. I'm a, speak, a national Vistage speaker. And when I do these workshops, one of the very first things I do is I ask them, and I'm going to ask you, Denise, okay, you're going to be, you're going to be in the audience here. Um, All right. And if, I, if I say the word transition, what comes to mind? So don't think too hard. Just say real quick. What, what comes to mind when I say the word transition to you? Death. Okay. Anything else? Mm, nope. Just death. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scary word. Okay. So I go around the room, and typically I have a mix of words, and I try to characterize them as positive, neutral, or negative connotations. So clearly the word that you shared has a negative connotation. Um, but many times in the room, you'd be surprised. The flip chart can sometimes have 80% of those, of those words be positive orientation. And what, it, what I am asking and, and kind of getting our, our mindset around transition is because, look, change is going to happen. And we have to acknowledge that, like you said, death. And a, a statistic is 100% of business owners are going to leave their business one day, right? Boots on or boots off, as you say. You're either going to Leave on your own volition or something's going to happen. So we have to acknowledge that. But the sad truth is that the clear majority of business owners do not have a plan in place. And you could say, Lori, well, what kinds of plans are you talking about? Well, there's different ones. There's the contingency plan, which is um, if I die, you know, what happens to my company? And there's a number of answers for that. But, or it could be um, a planned succession where maybe I just want to, for my goals, maybe I just want to put my feet up on the desk and take a step back. Maybe I want to serve as chairman of the board of my business. Maybe I want to pass it down to family. You know, maybe it's my kids. 
maybe my managers want to take over, or maybe I'm, you know what, I'm going to continue to grow. I want to acquire other companies. We're going to scale. We're going to really crush it. So transition can have a number of things associated. And what we see in the data is if an owner has more, what we'll call um, personal motivators or these positive things that are associated with, with change, it can have a positive effect on business value. And likewise, on the negative side, if there's a personal crisis, it can then sometimes correlate with negative business value. And so there's this middle ground where maybe the reasons for why you want to have a change is because you personally feel like you've peaked at some sort in your business and you're just ready to move on. So it's kind of in that neutral territory. And also just think about the concept, if you're familiar with cognitive dissonance, it's a psychology concept where it basically the brain is and the body, like they have to be in alignment. If you're, so here's an example. If you are really not on board with a certain um, uh, event, right, but you're physically there. So you sort of feel like, wait a minute, why am I here if I don't really want to be here? And then you start to think, well, maybe I am supportive of this, am I? Right, the body and the mind have to sort of agree. And the same thing with your business. You need to be in a line. So if your personal motivators for change are on the positive side, we do see a correlation there because you're going to be part of it. You're going to be participating in the planning. If you're fearing the future and you don't really have a vision for the future and, or maybe your business is really in trouble, um, then there's going to be more risk factors associated with some of those things. And again, it can hurt. It can hurt your business value. And there's a number of things and pitfalls. I know we're going to talk today about, about all of them. I have kind of a top 10 list that I want to dive into. And, and one thing you said, Denise, I think is a good reason to start with number one, where you talked about for yourself and starting a company and getting it off the ground and um, being able to, to eventually delegate and, and have people around you. And that does take time. I recognize that's not an easy thing to do. Um, but the top I think the top number one pitfall to talk about is that your organization needs you too much. And so the concept here is that if your organization cannot thrive without you as the owner, the person running the company, you will most likely have a worthless business. So let's just let that sink in because for a lot of people, that's some really bad news. Um, one woman I talked to when we did a business assessment to understand some of the risks and strengths in her business, she said to me, and this is a, uh, I would characterize it as a marketing agency type of firm. They do a lot of creative work. They do photography, graphic design, they do web work. And she said, wow, she goes, you really helped me see something that I hadn't seen before. And that is, she goes, I thought I was the secret sauce in my business. And she said, now I see that I'm actually holding back its value. And that's a pretty pivotal moment. And that makes sense to me because I'm in the same position. You know, I am the face of the company. I always have been. And honestly, when I start to think about going forward, what am I going to do? I don't want to do this forever and ever. Amen. I just don't. I've been doing it for a long time. I do want to eventually sell it or walk away. And that's not going to happen at this time. It's just not. For starters, I don't want to right now, but looking forward to can I ever sell my business, the answer right now is a no, not going to happen because I'm it. I'm the face. So that has to change. Yeah, there's a couple of things with what you just mentioned. Uh, one is you, you said you're not sure what you would do if you left, so we'll have to address that. Um, two is, that, yeah, the business is pretty dependent upon you, and it's very difficult to transition a company like that. So that's a very common place for us to start. You know, when I work with clients on um, strategic exit planning, strategic exit value planning, and we have to acknowledge that. We have to take a look at what your business really is comprising today. And a, a business that is under a million dollars in revenue you know, we, we can call them more main street businesses, um, inherently do have more risk associated with them than a business that's more than a million, more than 5 million, more than 10 million, right? A business that's larger, more well-established, either by revenue or by tenure, right, how old the company is, 
can, if we put ourselves in the shoes of the buyer, right? We, it's all about perceived risk. And so what are those reasons why a buyer might associate more risk with your business versus a competitor business? And our, our objective in working on this proactively, right, when time is on your side and you have the ability to affect change, is that we want to be realistic. We don't want to just walk around rose-colored glasses. We want to know what I call these risk tripwires. We want to know what these risk tripwires are so that we can have the time now to work on them. And as you said in the introduction, many business owners within the next five to 10 years want to leave their company. And when I talk to them and I ask one of the early questions, I say, well, you know why? Tell me what your goals are. Many, many people are, are saying because it's a retirement age. You know, they're using age as the reason. Others I've talked to, including some guests on my show, have talked about it's not necessarily age, but stage, you know, what stage of life you're in. For some, they're not ready to let go because of various reasons. It might be because your name is on the door, there's a family obligation, um, and so selling has a certain um, maybe guilt associated with it, or it could be because it's your livelihood and it's difficult to replace that income. Um, it could be, again, a number of reasons why you're not quite ready to sell, but a big part of it, and I do offer, and if people are interested, they can certainly follow up with me, but I offer um, what's called a personal readiness to exit assessment. And in this assessment, what you'll get back is, is some really good exercises. And with clients, we work through these, you know, one-on-one, but it's a great workbook. You'll get the workbook, you know, complimentary, so you can do it on your own as well. Um, but essentially what we're trying to measure here, and you get a quantitative number. So for those of you who like a score out of a zero to 100, it's going to give you back a score in total and across four different drivers. And I can explain what those four drivers are. Um, they, all, they all relate to each other. So the first one is future vision. Why do you want to exit your business? What do you plan to do after you leave? So many people don't have that answer. And Denise, you were kind of alluding to that for yourself. And that's okay, right? But no, I don't have that answer. That. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not even close to that. In fact, my goal yeah. right now is to eventually grow up to be the crabby old lady sitting in a rocker on the front porch with a cat, a bottle of gin, and a shotgun yelling, get off the grass. That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> it sounds like a, a Tom and Jerry cartoon or something. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> um, the second driver after future vision is structuring flexibility. And we can structure flexibility for you by knowing what your business is worth to the market. What's your bottom line in terms of your financial questions that surround your exit? What is it that you need to be able to move forward outside of the company? Uh, and so what's your magic number? Uh, the third one is personal detachment. How attached are you personally to your business and how have you built a life that's fulfilling outside of your company? Are your friends, if you have a party, are you inviting all, all work colleagues or do you have other things that you enjoy, whether they're sports or sailing or, you know, what have you, cats. <laughs> and then the fourth one of the four is team involvement. And this is about considering how your team, or your employees will be treated when you exit. And the reason why that's important is some of the data that we have um, from the Value Builder System, which is, a, which is the platform that I use for these assessments, uh, the data is really interesting. It shows that, and also from the Exit Planning Institute, where I have a, I have a certificate from them. Uh, many owners, one year after the sale, say that they're not happy, like 75%. It's a really high percentage, and it's probably more than you'd expect. May, they've got, they got a check. They've cashed out. Aren't they happy? And predominantly, the answer is no. And a big reason for that can be uh, maybe they're not satisfied with any of these four drivers, right? Maybe they really didn't do the pre-work of what it took to get there across the finish line. You know, what is the ultimate finish line? And how they feel about it a year later, um, you know, it can have some residual, some residual um, unhappiness for a variety of reasons. That makes sense. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember, you know, people in my home and around the neighborhood saying, oh, you know, so-and-so 
this this would be said. I remember it vividly. Oh, so and so just retired. He'll be dead within the year. That stuck with me. That's horrible, isn't it? But it was a, a deep belief then, and I think some people still believe it now. It's like, well, what am I going to do now? I'm bored. I guess I'll just sit down and die. It happens. You know, well, that's why I think wondering... the age and, and the life stage conversation is really interesting. Because yeah. If yeah. you have the mentality and the mindset, you're going to continue to grow no matter what you're doing and how you can find your personal purpose. It, there's a number of things that you can do. You can start another company. You can create a family office and do investing. You can be an angel investor, not necessarily create your own investing group, but you can be an angel investor or you can be a mentor through SCORE and other nonprofit organizations. There's so many ways to give your time, talent, and treasure. And I think this exploration of what is really meaningful is what I try to do with clients and help bring that out. I have a number of clients that say they really would like to have uh, investments in an asset class like real estate so that they can get more of an annuity stream, but it doesn't require a lot of their time. Maybe they're, uh, you know, envisioning a move from, from this state to that state and they're thinking about where their kids might end up. And so they're thinking a little creatively. It really is a, a range of what goals are. I have, I have one that I'm working with him. He's 10 years out from a transition. He doesn't want to sell anytime soon. And what I say to him, is, look, it's all about protecting value now, right? You, you're reaching a point where you don't really want the business to be a lot bigger, but we got to sort of protect it from being smaller. And so how do we, and so how do we do that? Um, in this assessment that, that people, again, they're welcome to, um, to take, a really key question is how many hours do you spend working in your business in a typical week? And when's the last time, uh, this is more of an informal question, but um, it, when's the last time you took a vacation? And on that vacation, did you truly punch out? Like you didn't answer emails, you didn't answer the phone, you, you really like took a sabbatical. If it's a five days, you know, a month, whatever it can be, the more you can wean yourself away, it's really a true test because if your team or your business cannot continue with you in, in the mix, that's also very, very telling. And trying to back up and create processes around it or create backup plans um, around those key, key functions or key service areas, uh, depending on the size of your organization, you know, it's really um, a good place to start. So this top pitfall, we've been spending a lot of time on it, but it's just so, so common which is, you know, your organization needs you too much. And, and again, the key takeaway there is that a business that is perceived as more risky will be viewed as uh, less valuable. And when you're being compared in the marketplace versus your peer group, you'll probably have a discount applied as opposed to a premium. Or it just won't be sellable at all. Well, and I was going to ask you about that. Discount, what did you mean by that? Well, let's Do you say have any that, case studies you can share? Well, it's all in how valuations are done, and valuations on the buy side in the private market are infinite, right? In the public market, we can go to Yahoo Finance, and we can look up and see what the market cap is and the value of that company. In the private markets, value is determined by the buyer. And in our environment, I'm affiliated with Stony Hill Advisors. We're a mergers and acquisitions advisory firm focused on the lower middle market. And so we work with business owners, let's say, from anywhere from a million dollars in revenue up to, you know, 50 million in revenue. And what we do, one of the things that we do when we're working with them to prepare for a, you know, selling the company, for example, as one of the exit options, we do valuations as a service. And so I'm a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor, and, you know, we conduct valuation um, analyses. And it takes some time to do that, right? We need financial statements, we need tax returns, and we're trying to understand from the industry standpoint what comprises um, these different benchmarks. So we look at other companies that have sold in that industry around the same size within the relative time period, let's say five years. And that gives us some, some numbers to look at. And then we also, in doing an assessment of the company, try to understand what the, some of the value drivers are for that business and whether or not 
those value drivers are we're exceeding expectations. You know, we have some strengths in those areas or we don't. And so this range of potential across different dimensions is the kind of the art and the science of doing a, a business valuation. And from a translation standpoint, what does that mean for the business owner? Well, let's say that one of the risks is um, revenue concentration. Maybe we are doing a uh, million dollars in revenue, but 90% of it is with one client. So what happens if that one client goes away? Do we still have a business? That's a big risk. And I'm exaggerating that point, but for some buyers, they might find that 50% with one client is very risky or 40 or 30 or 20, right? That the, how they define that revenue concentration risk is up to them. But in general, that's one of the things we look for is of your top 10, and just as an example, of your top 10 clients, you know, let's do a Pareto analysis. Is that 80% of your total revenue through top 10 or is it 50%? And we look for those concentrations. And again, that's just one example. So when somebody comes to you and they're looking to really move forward or just get an idea of if they're ready to move forward and what's going to take place, what are your first steps with somebody that says, I don't know where to go with this? I mean, I never really planned on dying. Oh, and I wanted to say the reason I can't, you asked me about transition and I came up with death is honestly, and I was thinking about that while we were chatting, I've had an awful lot of death in my my life recently an awful lot and on facebook i'm gonna throw the blame on facebook as well every time you see the word transition oh my mom transitioned oh my dad transitioned didn't he just die i mean why do we have to use that word and it kind of bothers me i I get that it's a transition but i just don't like it it's a word that's starting to really kind of piss me off to be honest well i think transition is is, it can be in the eyes of the beholder and that's you know, what it means to you. And that's where I started. That's why I start that way in these conversations, because it helps me understand what headset they have, what it, what it does mean. And for you, obviously it has that connotation for, uh, and it's, there was a finality to it. And so for others, it is more of a momentum and it's change and it changes is a process and it's not necessarily an arrival. And for me as a business transition Sherpa, I'm trying to help them understand what is it that they want to arrive to? You know, what is that destination for them? So that they, when they've achieved that, they feel, they feel, you know, fulfilled by that. And it could be that, Hey, I need a continuous journey. I don't have a, an end point and that's okay. Um, However they want to define it. And that was going to be my next question. Now you had mentioned personal, um, what was it? A personal, Assessment. How do people find that? It seems like there's a lot of people who may be really interested in saying, okay, maybe this is where I go to find out. Am I ready to start, you know, transitioning? Am I ready to start, you know, thinking about selling the business? Or am I just too far away just yet? Yeah, I mean, a shortcut is to go to my website, which is small d o t big.com and in the footer if they scroll all the way down there's a section called useful links and there's some links there uh, one of which is called the pre-score survey and they can also find that by navigating through my site uh, on exit value and transition planning but nonetheless the shortcut is all the way down in the footer for pre-score survey on smalldotbig.com, smalldotbig.com. Okay, great. I think a lot of people will probably be heading that way. I will. I'm not ready to sell, and I probably won't be for a long time, which leads me to another thought that popped into my head while you were talking. Some companies may not actually be saleable, but what about their brand? There's a lot of talk these days about, well, I'll just sell my brand. Is that even doable? Well, I guess the answer is it depends. Um, Some of the factors that we're going to look at are, well, what's the strength of that brand? What does it really, what what goes with that association? And so let's say you have a lot of social media followers. 
you have a customer list, you have trademarks or service marks that you've registered, there's some associated value, again, values in the eye of the beholder, so the buyer, what, what is it that that buyer strategically is going to benefit from? If, if you own a domain name, you know, it's in its simplest form, a domain name can have a, a value. There's a marketplace for domain names and you can sell a domain, right? And so that transaction is happening, GoDaddy or wherever you decide to sell and it's done. If you have a business trade name or you have business assets, you can sell those assets and they can be transferable. You need to find the right buyer who's going to associate the value for them. That's actually doable. I've done it twice, which you know this was why I was asking. And both times the buyer found me, I wasn't even trying to sell. So it's it's doable. So Lori, you had mentioned the top ten, and we we talked about the first one. We've only got about half an hour left. I may ask you to come back so we can really cover those top ten. Uh, but let's see where we can get today. Yeah, we actually covered a couple here. The second one was you don't know what you would do if you left. So we can go deeper on that, but I think the personal readiness assessment is a good part of that. Um, there's, there's another one that I think is important for a lot of companies that have you know, survived through tough times, like through COVID and you know, in recessionary times. And this one is what made you successful in the past isn't enough today and going forward. This has to do with competitiveness in the competitive marketplace and being, and being in tune with your customers. So somebody like a, a Bill Gates who, you know, we love him or, or hate him regardless, he's a smart guy. And he says that, you know, your dissatisfied customers, your unhappy customers can be the greatest source of learning. The other side of this is about innovation. You know, so one is, are you, are you in tune with what your customers need from you? And during, and during the pandemic, we had to pivot. We had to do things that maybe, maybe we accelerated the digital digitalization of our company. You know, there were some processes, restaurants, car washes were creating packages. They were creating solutions. Here, the other, the other concept is, how are you providing solutions for key pain points for your, for your customers? Are you in tune with what they need from you? And innovation can be part of that, especially for companies that have been around and they're more mature. So the concept of a company life cycle where your company has been around for decades, generations, the further away your company gets from its entrepreneurial roots can be more challenging to change. There's some sayings around, you know, the spouting whale gets harpooned. So if you're the third generation that gets the keys, hey, congratulations, don't screw it up, right? A lot of them get told. So they don't want to change anything. And if you're the founder and what's made you successful sort of not working anymore, well, what are you going to do? Now we get back to the situation of, well, as the positive and the negative, right? If, if your company is in a downward trend for revenue, what do we think the buyer, when they see that revenue trend, is going to think, right? This is a company that might be headed towards closure. You know, they're in a shrinking market. You know, what's wrong with the company? Is this a turnaround? So this one's important for those of you, again, when time is on your side, don't just take your foot off the gas pedal. You've got to keep momentum going in your company to make sure that you're showing the growth potential and that you're, you're, staying, um, you're staying competitive in a very difficult marketplace. So, Lori, when, when you're talking about don't take your foot off the gas, I'm sure that you advise these companies, and, and they have other advisors as well. I mean, this kind of information doesn't come from just one arena, does it? I mean, you need to talk with your, you know, the people who are handling your finances, your bank. You need to talk to the people who are maybe your sales team. I mean, you have to be talking with a lot of people, I would think. Oh, of course. Yeah, you've got your, your internal folks who are on your team. If, you, if you're large enough and you have a management team or you've got you know, even a team of five or a team of ten, you want to make sure directionally people know which way is north and you're all headed in that direction. 
And from time to time, maybe it's the once a year assessment to do really solid competitive analysis and, and understand from your customers what pain points you're solving. Are you selling the quarter inch drill bit or are you selling the quarter inch hole, right? If you need to do construction work, you want the right size hole. You don't care about necessarily the brand name of that drill bit, right? And this is important for companies that have a runway in front of them more than two to three years. You've got to make sure that if you're anticipating a sale and down the road, 10 years from now, what's going to continue to add value in the business is knowing what your customers need from you and what pain points you're solving. You know, one thing that I talk a lot about on this podcast is the big difference. I think it's a massive difference between customer service and customer satisfaction. And I would suspect that what you're talking about when you know these companies are talking to their internal teams and you know they need to really gauge their customer or their consumer satisfaction. It's an are you seeing a lot of that? It's an I'm excellent sorry. point. It's okay, a very good. good point because so many times when I talk to companies about what makes you different and special, they mentioned customer service. The sad reality is that customer service is table stakes. It's not a differentiator. Unless you are literally the only one in your industry offering good customer service, everybody says they offer good customer service. So how is that really differentiating you? How is it creating a competitive moat around your business? What is that special niche? What is that special thing your company does that makes it difficult for someone else to replicate. Here's why this matters to your question. Customer satisfaction is a measurable thing. It's more objective. It's not subjective. Customer service, and for, again, for the reasons I just mentioned, but customer satisfaction has some um, tools around it. Maybe we're using Net Promoter Score. Maybe we're using Google reviews or whatever it is that we're getting customer testimonials. Maybe we can quantify these things. Something like Net Promoter Score that is so well adopted and known in the industries, there's industry benchmarks. And so you can compare yourself on CUSSAT um, across different groups. The number one uh, for Net Promoter Score, for folks that aren't uh, familiar with it, the number one question you might get asked, and you might, you know, this might sound familiar if you've stayed at a hotel or even car rentals. Um, it, you know, it's very popular in the hospitality industry to, to measure. Um, how likely are you to recommend us? And it's usually on a scale of one to 10 or something. And that is a very, very popular question. And what we're trying to determine through that question is, wow, well, if you really enjoyed your, you know, your experience with us, you telling other people, you believing in us to recommend others is, is a really popular gauge. Um, so back to the point is differentiation and competitive, competitive uh, difference. Customer service, not so much customer satisfaction metrics that show you're above your, your industry group that wow. show improvement over time. Absolutely. And can they be related? Of course. Of course. Oh, yeah. And they should be to some degree. But with customer satisfaction these days, all you have to do is jump on the Internet and complain. And listen, I mean, on my podcast not too long ago, I was complaining bitterly about LG. I have an LG refrigerator. It took them four tries to fix it. The last time they got here, oh, we forgot to put Freon in it. Really? I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah. They gutted it. They replaced everything, the motherboard, the you know, the compressor, the ice maker, which didn't need – it was warranty. They were just trying to fix it. Forgot the Freon. I'm not yeah. a fan. Nobody yeah. should be a fan. Yeah. So when we're talking customer satisfaction – Small company, big company, mid-sized company, you really, really need to be on top of how you're treating your consumers, your customers, whoever they are. You need no, to be on top of that because we can get online and just savage you, and we'll do it. Sadly, we'll do it. I did it. Yeah, pre-Internet social media, the number was something in studies was like <clears throat> for every dissatisfied customer, they sold, they told seven to ten people. I mean, now it's like. 20 or higher. I don't even know what the stats are. It's just too easy to spread negative information. So we've got to combat that with all the, with all the, um, the positive things we can do. I do want to mention a really, uh, another big pitfall. This is where I spend a lot of time 
you asked the question about, you know, how do you get started? What do I do with, what do I do to help business owners? And this is where we start. It's because of these pitfalls. The pitfalls are, I don't know what my business is worth and I'm not sure what impacts business value. They're related, but they're big, they're big things. And starting out with an assessment, we start there. I get to know the business. It's, It's a discovery process and there's all kinds of information that is that goes into this that they'll share with me, and I really get to, uh, you know, from being a podcaster, I ask good questions, right? So we get we get deep, we get deep on on a bunch of things, but it's also wide. We're covering the sales process, we're covering their, their organization, um, their company history, their culture, their finances, you know, their financial results and statements and history, all kinds of things go into this to understand um, where are they today, where have they been, and a little bit about where they want to be. If they have a strategic plan, that's fantastic. Many companies do not, and that's certainly okay. Um, but where they see some growth potential, and we get to understand their competitive landscape. And if we're going to do a business valuation for them, we're going to look at the past three years of financial results. Usually we'll look at their company tax returns, and we'll also take year-to-date financial statements. So we can uh, take a look at what, again, from a three to four year period, what their numbers look like. We're going to understand what expenses might be one time, you know, not recurring, not coming back. Maybe you had to repair the roof of your building and that was a one-time thing. Maybe you, uh, as a business owner, are taking some discretionary expenses from the business, which you're able to do, um, but are we tracking that, and do we know what those numbers are? And so why we do this exercise, and likewise, it's also on the revenues. If you have one-time revenue that you're not expecting again, good case in point is PPP money or other government uh, tax credits, um, we, a new owner is going to make different decisions and have different circumstances than you. And so if you're not likely to continue those in the future, we, we do what we call addbacks. And so we add them back. And so you have your revenues, we have your expenses, and you have your net income, add backs, and that net number after that is what we call seller discretionary earnings. The acronym is SDE. And if we also are going to estimate what a new owner salary would be uh, after you leave the business, then we can do a what we call adjusted EBITDA number. So SDE and you know is an adjustment to net income, and an adjusted EBITDA number, those two numbers with the competitive uh, or, excuse me, a comparative analysis that I mentioned earlier in the market of what companies have sold in your industry in a fairly recent time period, we we use that as well as some other analyses to help us understand a range of of value in the market. So I'm I'm, I'm simplifying, you know, because this is not a lesson on how valuations work. Everybody's head's probably going to explode. But I, uh, I just wanted to give a sense that, yeah, you know, there's, there's some math that goes in it. It takes some time to do. And, yeah, there's an expense for it, but it's worth it because if you're interested in selling, we use it as some of the uh, groundwork to help us prepare. Even if you're not ready to sell, it's really good to have this analysis. There are some tools, and we do offer them as well, where we offer a uh, complementary estimate of value. And if someone is interested in that, likewise, on my website, they can find it in the useful links section. It's called the Value Builders Survey. And if they go to smalldotbig.com and go to useful links in the footer, they'll see the Value Builders Survey link. And if they complete that survey, which is an assessment of strengths and risks in the business, as well as if they put in some financial information to approximate these EBITDA adjustments and, and seller discretionary numbers that I was, I was referring to, um, based on their industry, we can give them kind of this range of value of what their business is worth today. So for someone that's just thinking about it and just not really sure, on, you know, oh, I don't know what I want to do and just might be good to have an assessment, this is an awesome, awesome offer. I also will meet with you to discuss the results of the, of the assessment. Um, so this pitfall <laughs> of not knowing what your business is worth and not sure what impacts value, there's two starting points here. One is complementary. Like I said, this value builder survey is an assessment for that. And the second way is if you want to know and have an official, you know, I don't want to use the word official, but I mean, if you want to have a, um, 
a valuation analysis for your business, then we offer also offer that, you know, for a fee. Well, and it makes sense these days in particular where, you know, life is a little bit frightening these days. What used to work just fine two or three years ago doesn't anymore. And we're finally starting to get our heads around, okay, things have changed. It's not going to go, it's never going to go back. Remember in the first days of COVID, oh, we'll get back to normal. Oh, we're back to the new normal. Those are, you know, that was another phrase that just had me going, stop it, just stop. It's not going to go back to what it was. So I would think that this is a good time for people to say, okay, I've got my business. I survived COVID, the pandemic. I've survived or am surviving what looks like we may have a recession coming on. We don't know, but it could be. I've survived. So I need to know where do I go? You know, I yeah, I need to spend the money. I need to find out what's going to impact my business, what I'm going to be able to do, how I'm going to be able to, you know, make it better. Or do, you know, I just say, well, let's just keep on doing what we're doing for right now. But it's it's information you have to have. I mentioned, you know, getting a will earlier. Nobody wants to have a will. I, you know, you think about, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that. My best friend's sister just passed away. We, she just stood up from her chair and died. That, that was all there was to it. All of a sudden, you know, Maggie and I are running back and forth to, you know, her attorney to get everything for her and for me because she's going to be my, my um, you know, we're going to do the work for each other. And we didn't even think about it till it just hit us right in the face. I mean, you think about it, but you don't go do it. My point here is go do it. If your business is, is still viable, if it's doing better or it's doing poorly and you want to hang on to it, go ahead, go do it. Go do what you need to do and don't be afraid of it. Uh, all things are difficult before they're easy, to quote Thomas Fuller. And it's not, it's not easy to put together a, a buy-sell agreement with insurance or it's not easy to develop a will. It's not easy to do these things, but it's the right thing to do for your company if you have transferable value. It's the right thing for your family, your customers. If you have a business where someone, if you're the number one and 100% owner, right, you're the only person who can sign for things in the business for banking and other and other things. Um, imagine, right, if you unfortunately do have uh, a death and un- an unfortunate situation, you know, what's going to happen? Um, so th- that's a contingency side of things. I I do work with folks on that too. The focus of what I'm doing is more longer, you know, longitudinal, right? And so that's kind of a, gee, if this happens, what, what do we do, right? In case of emergency, break this glass, you know, uh, or have that binder that you can point to. That's really important. So that's contingency planning. Succession planning is the people side of things, more internal, typically focused. And then the exit planning is the bigger picture that encompasses all of those things to help really get your business ready for different transition options. And one option is selling. Another option is, um, is, is having a, uh, you know, selling, but you can sell to who, right? And so we can talk a lot about that too. Who are those options? And one might be to family managers, you know, third party. We can just, we can talk for an hour just about that alone. Um, but the thing I was thinking about, which was related to your, um, your point, I would say, is another pitfall, which is that the team isn't on your transition timeline for whatever reason. Um, how to bring people along with you in that journey, if you envision that they are part of your exit vision, um, but they don't know that, then that can be a gap. I have one potential client. They are a, they're a services firm. They're about $5 million in revenue. Two founders co-owners, they are trying to figure this out. And they have uh, a key person who's been on their team, I think, seven to 10 years, very loyal. And they were envisioning that she would want to take over one day. And then they talked to her about it. And she said, oh, no, (laughs) she does not want that responsibility. She doesn't want the financial responsibility. She's got a young family. She can't imagine. Um, that's just not how she, she wants to kind of live her, you know, professional life in the future. Knowing that was really important for them. 
and set them on a course to, you know, to talk with me about, well, what does this mean for them? What are other options? And, you know, should they be, should they be considering different things? Cause the option a turned out to not be an option. I have another client where very small team, this is a, about a million in revenue business and their number one backup person. Um, there's about, I would say 20 years difference between the owner and this key person. And he was envisioning that this person would want to buy, you know, buy in or, you know, be gift, get, get shares of the company and basically take over over time. And then um, he said he was moving to Europe and that became a bit of a question mark. Is he moving back? What happens if he doesn't move back? Maybe he's not part of this bigger picture. You know, we need other options. So there, that's what I mean by your team might not be on your transition timeline because they have other things they're doing in their life and their goals might not be aligned with your goals on that fact. And Laurie, doesn't that some of that hold true for succession planning as well? And, yeah. and I'm thinking family farmers because I have a client who does a lot of work with, with family farms and agriculture and agribusiness. And sometimes the, the son or the daughter or the, the other people in the family just don't want it. They want to do mm-hmm. something different. So wouldn't that impact you as well when you start succession planning and then exit planning? 100%. Absolutely it will. Yeah, and that's related to another uh, pitfall that I was going to mention. And it's related to succession for sure, Um, which is your family or your management team, they might not want to take over. And, question mark, are they the right fit? Fit is a really important thing. So are motivations and strengths. Maybe we have the motivation. I'm in the family. I'm really, I love this company. I'm loyal. Um, So I'm motivated. But if I'm really honest with myself, am I really cut out to be the owner? Maybe my financial acumen isn't as strong as it could be. Um, Maybe there's other things that are holding me back. And so that's some of the the side. Maybe it's on the fit side. Um, Maybe there's just a cultural mismatch. There can be a lot of reasons the strengths, motivations, and fit are just not aligned. They're, they're, and for family or for managers, you know, whoever it is. So assessments that help us understand this match, um, honest conversations, long tail development is so important. I've had many family businesses on my podcast, and they talk about this, and, and so many times people say, You know, they started at the bottom, literally, you know, they were sweeping floors, they were stuffing envelopes and they've, they've worked elsewhere perhaps and then come back, but they've earned a credibility with the, their colleagues in some way, shape or form. And sometimes the motivations evolve. I had one guest who talked about he's fourth generation. He absolutely positively did not want to work in the company. (laughs) <laughs> and he's the CEO now, and he has been a successful CEO there for like 10 years. But originally, he did not. He was PhD, he in science, and, and this business was a publishing company, or is a publishing company. And, uh, but over time, he changed his mind, and he's been a fantastic fit for them and, and, and really aligned his, um, his motivations with the company from a sustainability standpoint and seeing them to the next generation and the next and the next and being beyond himself. And, you know, you might have managers who say they're interested. I have one client who is envisioning selling to some of his operators in the company. Um, They're a manufacturing company, but they don't necessarily have the business acumen that they might need. And I think he intuitively knows that, but he wants it to work out. So we're going to work together on this and, and we have some time to do this, which is good, because we have to figure out, are they the right fit or not? A lot of times when people say they want to sell their company, uh, many, many times, it's very, very common that we'll look to the the management team first before we look outside. Why? Because they already know the company. They know all the, the, you know, they know the warts, they know the risks, and they're still excited about it, right? Which means they're motivated to to work through that and they see a future in the business. 
And would that necessarily bring the highest price? I don't know. You know, if we put it on the outside for competitive bid, I would, I would suspect that it, it could bring a higher price because you're creating competition. If you are selling to managers, I'm not, to, not saying you'll always be selling at a discount, but maybe you will. And maybe that's okay because you really want it to happen. You want to see them be successful. You know, these are people you care about and, uh, you know, it's important, important to you. So however you define that, but I think motivations, the strengths and the fit of whether they're family or whether they're managers, you know, really needs to be considered. And I think something else that needs to be considered too, and the story you just told about the man who did not want to be the CEO but has turned out to be a, a fantastic CEO, there's a certain amount of business maturity that has to come with it. You have to kind of walk your path before you say, okay, I can take this, but you can't just, I don't think, be expected to take over. So getting to know where people are in, in their business maturity I think is very important as well. Right, right. For sure. Interesting. Well, we are just about out of time, and I know you've you've shared a lot of information. Tell people where they can find you, and if you would, go back over those um, those links that you wanted people to look at. Yeah, of course. People can connect with me in a, in a couple of spots. One is my website which is smalldotbig.com. So that's small.big.com. Back to the story that I told earlier, if you want to remember it that way, small.big.com. And uh, in the footer of the website, if you scroll all the way down on the homepage, there's a section called Useful Links. And there's two surveys that are available to you at no cost. Um, one is called the Value Builder Survey, and that's going to be a business assessment uh, for you based on your industry factors, strengths, opportunities. And if you include your financial information, you'll also get a estimate of value. And I'll meet with you uh, afterwards to, to go through the results. Also, there's a link for what's called the pre-score, P-R-E, the pre-score survey. And this is personal readiness to exit. And this is a personal readiness assessment. These are questions more about you as opposed to the business. The first one is the business. This one's more personal. And um, you will receive, if you complete the pre-score, a results uh, packet. You'll get an ebook also. And I'm happy to meet with you if you want to discuss in more detail. Um, a shortcut, if you want to note this down also, on my website, you can contact me. There's a link to schedule an initial call. If you go to meetlauriebarkman.com, and that also has uh, a scheduler, and you'll see this offer for complimentary serve, uh, assessment. At, that's meet Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, Barkman.com. And I mentioned my podcast earlier. You can also find it on my website under resources, or you can go to successionstories.com, and you'll find all the episodes. And it's also available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Oh, terrific. Lori, do you have anything else you'd like to share with the audience before I let you go? I'm losing my voice. Sorry. <laughs> Just that I think that this can feel a little intimidating. It can feel overwhelming um, for me and my work with business advisors and, and the team at Stony Hill. I know we, we really take the time to get to know you, and we want to see you be successful. We want to partner with you to be successful, and we want to help you, um, you know, we're going to be in that boat with you, and I, I really do encourage you to take the time to work on your business and not just in your business. Perfect. Lori, thank you so much. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and I've been scribbling down notes like crazy, so I thank you for all of the tips and the advice that you've shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audible, anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Lori, thank you so much. Thank you, Denise, and I'd love to come back for uh, another discussion. Let's do that because I think we only barely touched on it, so I'll get in touch with you. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.